This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello, hello. Today on CityCast Las Vegas, I'm here with Nevada independent reporter Tabitha Mueller and CityCast contributor Brent Holmes. Today we're going to talk about the online blowback to the hit-and-run reporting at the Review-Journal, the Bellagio Trees, RIP, and new robots at the Sphere. Oh, boy. It's Friday, September 22nd. I'm David Figler. And here's what Las Vegas is talking about. Brett Holmes, Tabitha Mueller, welcome to CityCast Las Vegas, you two. Good morning, Dave. Good morning. Well, let's just get into our Friday News Roundup. Tabitha, tell us about the online vitriol, I mean vitriol, directed towards the RJ and one of their reporters' coverage of a recent bike hit and run. Yeah, so I think one of the things that we need to start with is kind of what has been going on. And there's a really great write-up in Pointer that I highly recommend that everybody should go and read because it really lays out what happened and where this kind of vitriol started. And so Las Vegas Review-Journal crime reporter Sabrina, Sabrina Schnur, she's the first journalist to arrive on what appears to be sort of this hit and run incident. She's the first person to talk to um, the family of the person who was killed. He was riding a bicycle and she wrote an obituary. And, and, and when she wrote the obituary, she didn't know fully what had happened, but you just see what is going on in front of you. And so... Basically, eventually it turns out that she got a source who sent her a video footage where somebody had actually taped them hitting hitting the person. She had them send the police and she followed up with reporting. But then people online found the original article and started just attacking her on social media. So, and, uh, Tabitha, I just oh, wanted to get the timeline. So there was the original what we call in journalism an obituary story. Essentially, somebody died as a result of something happening that was reported in mid-August. Then some follow-up stuff happens later, but now people are looking back at the original story, not the follow-up. And then what happened? And then people started posting and saying, why wasn't the media properly covering this? And why did the obituary headline like downplay his, you know, his death and what was, you know, what are they hiding from us, right? And sort of like we've been hearing a lot in the media, we've been seeing a lot of social media attacking kind of journalists for not doing their jobs or or hiding some bigger story or something, right? I, I think that's something that like I see a lot, at least from from folks. Um, and so it went viral, but no one looked into the, you know, the reporting that she later did. She's a fantastic journalist. Um, and it it it's the kind of thing where you are just, as a journalist, as somebody who covers the news, it is just heartbreaking to watch this happen in front of you. 
I mean, they're calling it bad journalism in these circles, and then it starts escalating, and then you get amplification from Elon Musk himself with his millions of followers. I mean, 157 million followers of Elon Musk, my producer <laughs> reminds me. Tabitha, what are what are people like starting to ramp up into? Basically, I mean, we saw anti-Semitic attacks. Uh, there have been threats. There's just tons of and, and the Review Journal came out with a really amazing, I mean, column that kind of detailed their own perspective on what had happened. And also the like Sabrina talked about how she's afraid, how like she can't like go back. Like there's a safety concern for her. And it's all from something that she is really good at doing. And she cares about this community and she's embedded in it. Right. Um, and, and I don't even want to like put some of the things that have been said out there just because I think that you don't want to feed the flames. But it is absolutely horrifying um, and just vicious, vicious attacks and a lot of vitriol. And a lot of threats and social media outrage is kind of maybe how I would characterize it. Yeah. And uh, while the anti-Semitism directed at the reporter has its own uh, sheen of of disgust uh, that that hopefully everyone is impacted by. I mean, I was seeing things out there like the Review Journal in Las Vegas is this woke publication that is anti-cop. Brent, how does that resonate with you? <laughs> uh, the Review Journal in Las Vegas is one of the most pro-police and policing publications in the country. It is notoriously conservative. Um, its journalism certainly leans right, maybe not far enough right for the followers of Elon Musk. Uh, but that's another conversation, right? And again, that uh, undertone of anti-Semitism kind of tells you everything that you need to know about the audience that um, is attacking her. Uh, this is, I think, Twitter or whatever uh, X or whatever we're calling it these days certainly is a contributing factor to that kind of general abuse. But one of the things that I think people kind of also make a mistake with is you are only you only have the information that is available at to you at the time that you're writing this. Right. Like sure. like when she first wrote that obituary, she had no idea that he had been run down and killed. Right. Like there, that's, I think, some context that people need to understand that as journalists, you have the information that you have. And that's why, you know at least at the indie, we really try to say we ask these questions, we're waiting on these responses. This is stuff that, you know, you try and explain this is this is why we say he said or she said or this is where this comes from. And that's why you do follow up reporting. Right. Um, but I think sometimes people take one thing and that's like the whole story. And you're like, no, we are, you know, especially when you're providing these real time news updates. God forbid a story develop over time, right? Right. <laughs> like, God forbid that somebody, I mean, it's like with Watergate, right? Like you saw that when they were reporting on Watergate, they didn't know what they, they had, they maybe had some inkling, but like it was small stuff. And then eventually it was like, oh, oh my goodness, it is right in front of your face. Um, and I think that's a great example of just the way that journalism builds upon previous journalism. And I don't think that, you know, all stories are beyond reproach that aren't susceptible to criticism Absolutely. On, on, on a lot yeah. of the choices that are made. <laughs> Here we have obviously something very different because we're talking about tens of thousands, if not more, just pieces of anger through these social media platforms just being hurled. Uh, in, in sometimes very, to, to those of us who live here, ridiculous ways, calling the RJ woke is 
in a lot of ways, very ridiculous. But I'm wondering this question, and, and let me let me hit you first with this, Brent. Traditional media outlets, um, they rely uh, heavily on social media to drive traffic. Um, what does this bonkers escalation say about the relationship between reporting and social media? Uh, is it time for newspapers to break up with platforms like Twitter, or do they still need each other? I think regrettably in this era, at least from the perspective of marketing and advertising executives, journalism does need social media. Um, whether or not social media has a constructive influence on journalism, I think we know the answer to that. And it's no, it doesn't. It never has really. But as far as getting the most eyes on the page as possible, uh, social media is still a very, very necessary step. So it's a, you know, kind of uh, let's say toxic relationship that uh, standard journalistic outlets have with social media. And um, yeah, it's, it's uh, never fun. I was just going to say that I think one of the things about social media that is really great as a journalist is that you can connect with people, right? Like I can have somebody message me and say, Hey, there's something going on here. Or I didn't receive like, you mm -hmm. know, during the COVID, it was so great because people could reach out to you and say, I can't find my vaccine or I can't go find this thing. Or how do I do this? Or, Hey, my employer isn't paying me what's going, you know, or rent is increasing. And so it provides this really amazing space that you can, and I live up in northern Nevada, right? But we're a statewide publication. So I cover southern Nevada. There's stuff that happens out in the rurals. And this is a good – social media is a great space to connect. But, but. <laughs> it has that downside of um, you have people who just have it out for folks or aren't paying attention in the right way or don't have the community's best interest at heart, right? Connection works both ways. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. I mean, and, and, and I realized, you know, the, the RJ stood up for themselves. You mentioned a Glenn Cook editorial that I thought was spot on. Um, but is this the price of doing business? I mean, it's just to be expected that sometimes you're going to step on the landmine of this weird ass outsized outrage about nothing because there's a culture war afoot. And, you know, uh, should the RJ just suck it up saying, well, that's you, you 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 dance with uh, the you tweet with the devil. You're going to get a little back. I I think that the editorial was spot on. I think that the criticism that has come of social media and how people have been abusing this reporter is like really is good. We need to call it out. We have to say that this is not helpful to the discourse. And I, for one, you know, people criticize stuff that I write, and I I read it, and it. Sometimes it's very helpful because you understand where people are coming from. But at the other end of it, just blatant like this is bad because I don't like it or here is, you know what I mean? And and the misinterpretation of facts and all of those things, you have to take everything that's done on social media with a grain of salt as a consumer, right, of news. I'm not saying this from like a writer perspective. Right. Look, that, that toxic relationship looks like it's going to continue for a long time. Um, it does obscure a lot of things. I, I think there's valid criticisms of police and crime coverage in America and the Review Journal. Um, and, and hopefully that doesn't get obscured by these ridiculous, ridiculous episodes. So, you know, if nothing else, our best to the reporter here. Uh, totally unfair.
let's uh, move on to uh, a different topic. F1. I, I can't wrap my head around it. it it's as, as weird and circular as that track seems to be. Uh, the Bellagio trees are the latest casualty of this F1 construction and the conversation around it. Brent Holmes, what's going on over uh, on, on our precious, beautiful Las Vegas Strip? So multiple sources reported this week that Formula One chopped down several old growth trees in front of the Bellagio Fountains uh, right there, like uh, around Flamingo and Las Vegas Boulevard. And of course, um, the community got up in arms and it was maybe a little surprising because there was, uh, you know, there's there's a. Uh, a petition going out now um, and and a lot of frustration on the social medias. But uh, it, it was, I think, if you look at it, a, a long-awaited response. This was just another kind of straw on the camel's back, if you will, uh, when it comes to Formula One racing and its reconfiguration of the face of Las Vegas Boulevard. Yeah, and use, use the word old growth, which, you know, in Las Vegas means different things than it does probably back in Connecticut or, you know, uh, they're at least 25 years old, although they are, uh, they have a little bit of a lineage from what I understand. Some of those trees that were in front of the Bellagio actually came from the Dunes Hotel, which preceded it. So they do go back quite a way. And, you know, trees are trees. And here in the desert, there's a lot of conversation around that. I think after this news came out, didn't MGM say that they would also be temporarily and safely taking down trees, right? So several of the trees are dead. They're going to be mulched and used for parks and recreation, recycled and used for parks and recreation. They're gone forever. Many of the other trees are going to be temporarily removed from the walkway in front of the Bellagio. And yes, they are 25-year-old trees, which in Las Vegas, especially on the Strip, makes them pretty ancient, uh, you know. Um, they're also very lovely trees, you know, very nice pines. Um, and And part of the aesthetic and what makes the Bellagio Fountains look so pretty and romantic and kind of glady and like uh, a, a, like a public walkway or a more of a European feeling. And our our reporter, um, Janelle Calderon, she was down there and she's talking to folks and they were saying that like the trees provide shade and it gets hot out here. And this is kind of, it's nice to have like a break from the heat and, and just like a little bit of a reprieve, especially too, to have something green on the strip. However, it is in the desert, right? <laughs> yeah. So. Well, I mean, Brent, I was seeing, uh, you know, uh, I think our mutual friend Krista Diamond started a mm -hmm. um, an online petition that got a lot of heat, a lot of signatures, you know, kind of shaming the Bellagio and trying to force them into, into action to do something about what they're doing as a response. What, what's your take on this, on, on the on the outrage, I guess? I, the, I think the outrage is 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 two tier, right? First, you have the fact that Formula One has really come into the city and caused an incredible number of disruptions all up and down Las Vegas Boulevard. It, mm. It's really frustrating for locals, especially people that are commuting into work. There's still no... Um, not just people or, commuting into work, but workers who have to get to their jobs yeah, and are having yeah. to, to park further and further away after they, you know, walk to get to work and then they have to stand on their feet for eight hour shifts. 
Yeah, no, it's it's it becomes it's, it, it's become super problematic for the employees of, of major hotels and casinos all over the strip. And it's it's funny, right, because how, what is Formula One offering us really? I mean, I know they're paying they're footing a really big bill to to get these races set up. But the question is long term. This is a 10 year contract, right, um, with them. The question is long term. How much is this going to benefit the city of Las Vegas? And we still don't have a noted plan in place for when the races are actually occurring. If we think traffic is bad now, uh, wait, just wait until it's actually happening, right? Um, On top of that, I think that we are not a very arboreal city. And we like the idea, because Las Vegas is so transient, we like the idea of certain things staying the way that they are. And the Bellagio Fountains, it's it's look, it's feel that provided shade, the fact that it takes this one section of the strip and really makes it feel more comfortable and walkable and more like a park than just another, you know, part of Las Vegas Boulevard. All of those things, I think, have both an emotional and a reasonable, rational, uh, logical response. And it's made the community pretty livid. But I think there's a lot of overflow in that from everything else that Formula One has contributed to the city, which is basically frustration. Um, no, it's just, really interesting because you know. you're talking about that emotional concept. And, you know, when F1 or any of these other projects that have potential for major disruption are pitched to our city elders or whatever, it's always with this very dry economic modeling that doesn't take into account the emotion, the impact of the disruption, the impact of the changing landscape. I mean... Like you say, Brent, we have a 10-year agreement with Formula One racing. We don't know what that really means. The I, I like, and here's here's the thing: Las Vegas is a great like. Yes, that sounds great. Let's do it. Especially when they like the money gets put on the table, right? And we say, well, economically, this is the this is the projection of how much money this will bring in for the entirety of the city, and this is how important this event will be. And and the city and the casinos in the city and the powers that be, our communal elders, as you refer to them are going to greenlight something like that without the foresight of understanding what the long-term ramification of having a major automobile race in the most walked, driven thoroughfare in the state of Nevada, one of the most walked and driven thoroughfares on the planet Earth, right? Like Las Vegas Boulevard is not a low traffic area by any stretch of the imagination. And, And it's now beholden to the European equivalent of NASCAR, right? Um, well, and 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 the most ironic thing to me is that they're using these public streets. I mean, no one is going to claim that they're not public streets, and the public is excluded from even looking at it. God forbid you even get a peek. They've got a barrier that's now built up. I mean, Tabitha, you, you cover um, politicians a lot. Are these type of thoughtful conversations happening anywhere. I don't see them in the public realm. Do they talk with these F1 people behind the scenes and try to hash this stuff out? No, I'm not privy to those uh, closed door conversations. Let me tell you, I would give a lot of money to sit in in those discussions. And I think, um, you know, obviously we've heard a lot like Brent was talking about of like the economic benefits of this and how like we need to diversify Lost the economy down in Southern Nevada. And I mean, talk about, you want to talk about sports, we can talk about the Oakland A's anytime and what that means for Las Vegas too. And I mean, and even in those discussions, I do want to point out 
and I, I've been following more of the Oakland A's than like the um, Formula One. Uh, and I do think that Formula One supporters would maybe be mad at a comparison to NASCAR, but I liked the comparison there. Um, but I, I think when you're talking about Oakland A's, what was interesting to me is lawmakers did say, hey, how will this benefit our teachers? How will this benefit like the communities? Where, you know, where is this? But, you know, it that's not from every lawmaker, right? It's just like people, people have their own perspectives. Lawmakers have their own perspectives. Um, and so I, I think that part of this is an effort that that a lot of officials are saying, well, let's make Las Vegas a sports town, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Brent, yeah, go and ahead. Tabitha, I mean, I think, yeah, I think that's the, that's the, that's kind of the nightmare that we're living in right now in Las Vegas. And I use the term nightmare because it is a bad dream. Um, I, I, the the Las Vegas as sports town seems fun. It's entertaining, certainly, and it will drive people to the city. But the the overall issue becomes like all of it seems to a take place on the strip, which I understand why it's our biggest attraction. But we are not the strip. Las Vegas is not Las Vegas Boulevard. Uh, it may be our primary economic hub, but it's not, you know, the only place that this could be done. And um how much is too much? Where are where is the oversaturation going to occur? And also, what else are we ignoring in in the pursuit of a football, baseball, hockey, basketball, race car uh, city? On the topic of F1, if I'm going to use a, maybe a driving metaphor, that we do seem to be a little heavy on, on green lights uh, and maybe ignoring flags when it comes to these things. And I, I think if there is a call to action here, beyond the trees, getting back to our original subject, it is for those people who make the decisions, whether it's electeds or LVCVA, to to listen to what people are actually saying about the impact, to remember that these are important aspects of deciding what else that we want to go for as we strive for economic diversity or, you know, getting something more than just gambling, feeding the coffers. I don't want to get too woo-woo-y here, but also, they're just really pretty trees, and we all love nature, and we don't get that much of it in Las Vegas. I think that that's, the, that's a really valid, rational thing, and the really emotional aspect is, like, why would you kill the pretty trees that I love uh, yeah. for, for, for Vroom Vroom race car? Um, yeah, you know, there you go. All right, last topic. We're going to go a little off the strip. Uh, The Sphere. Okay, we keep hearing stories about the Sphere. There's a lot swirling around inside and out, but now they're adding robots. So this was a press release that came out of the uh, MSG Sphere that's located just east of the strip. And they're saying that they're going to essentially have robot concierge uh, services where you will be greeted and interact with robots who will uh, help facilitate your sphere inside enjoying and outside enjoying experience, and that hopefully the robots will learn more about us, which freaks me the hell out. Um, I don't know. You want me to play a video of the robot talking? Do you want to hear that, you guys? No, yeah, please go right okay, ahead. Okay, so here we go. Let's play that. <laughs> let's play that. Video right now, this is the robot who will be greeting you at the MSG Sphere. Hi, my name is Aura. Forget chatbots. Come chat with some real bots. And experience the future of technology. I can't wait to meet you. 
See you at Sphere. We're all going to die, Dave. We're all going <laughs> to die in a horrible robot revolution. I will be murdered. I will be murdered if I go see you too. I am. I am no <laughs> doubt it will be robicide. Is that? I'm no, uncanny. Va- I'm uncanny valuing really hard right now. Um, that was not okay to my brain. That see, I thought like it was going to be like the the little diddly robot waiters you get at like your mid range restaurants that need a gimmick, right? Like, but that looks like a real cybernetic humanoid creature, and I want to interact with that less than a dumb robot gimmick. That's try that's trying to like make me feel like we're living in the future. That was terrifying, Dave. I see pain on your face too, Tabitha. What what's your take on Aura the robot? I just think it's really I just think the idea of like robot servers and like all of those things, it's just so very Las Vegas to me. Um and, and maybe <laughs> that sounds like terrible for me to say. And like people have been joking about the sphere as the eighth wonder of the world or whatever, right? Um but like, you know, I was in a I lived for overseas for a little bit in a, in Japan and like you'd go to Tokyo and it'd be like you'd have the robot servers in Tokyo. And it was like the whole deal. And it was just so it, it, it was a novelty. Right. And I think that's kind of what this is. It's a novelty gimmick that like, oh, go to the sphere and like meet the robot and see the like lights on the outside of it. <laughs> what 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 features would you either of you need to see in a robot for it to go beyond gimmick for it to be something truly useful beyond what a human employee could do. I mean, I want a robot to do my taxes, Dave. I don't oh. want a robot to serve At me the a MSG beverage. Sphere. Well, that guy, no, well, uh, I, I hear they might be headed towards bankruptcy, so maybe taxes might not be the... Can we Can we get like just a little, uh, I, I want to get a little serious here for a second and... and no, make this we're talking n- about robot overlords. You really want to well, get I, serious, Brent? Yeah, for just for just a second, Dave. Like, All right, you're, so, you're indulged. Las Vegas is a neoliberal Detroit. We are a service economy extrapolated to its highest degree, right? That is what this city is at the end of the day. And um, within the 21st century, service economies are the primary gears of economy, right? People don't do the same kind of labor they used to. That we have this... um, Maybe gimmicky, maybe, you know, uh, a dalliance, you could say, of robot servers working in this very high tech, very high end arena that's that's opening up in Las Vegas is seems fun and silly on the surface. But the reality is that there is a question that continues to linger in Las Vegas about automation and spaces for jobs. This city lives and the reason people live here, the only reason people really live here is to provide for that service economy. And the more mechanized it becomes, the less necessary human beings are, the more unstable this community and the city at large are. So when as much as it seems like silly and spooky and we can make fun of it all day, this is on some level a potent of things to come, right? This is a forecast. Oh God, Brent, you're, you've killed my vibe. So you're right. We can't make fun fun now. We have to be serious. Tabitha, you're a very serious-minded person. I, I, is there any frivolity left in this conversation that we could share? Is there anything that you would allow the robot to do for you that counters okay. this extremely thoughtful and deep conversation that Brent has careened us into? So, oh, that 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 is a big question, and there is a lot to talk about here. First of all, I think that like where robots are concerned, you could always find room for frivolity. I think we can all I think that that just stands in general. Right. I think second of all, the thing we need to like think about is 
I don't think that the technology yet, like you you see that robot and you're like, I'm a little creeped out by it, right? Like it's important that we talk about the role that automation plays in the industry and where we are technology wise. And, you know, I don't, you know, I don't report on technology or, or kind of where robots are. And, and I've heard like different arguments and read a lot of different things. You know, some folks say that when we're talking about robots, the technology is just not there for them to to do a lot that like to, to fully be capable in the way humans are. But the other side kind of, Brent, like what you're talking about is like how soon are they replacing jobs? How soon are we mm. seeing, you know, a cheaper form of a labor for, force coming in? But I want to flip the script because philosophically, I obviously am on the page with both of you. But I'm going to be a fatalist for a half a second and just say the robots are going to take over. So in 30 years, what is your job when that happens? What do you do in the robot economy of our, I'm going to say, in 30-year future? I mean, I, I, I will be I will be dying horribly while fighting our new robot overlords. Uh, you're in, in the resistance. Some, I'm in the resistance. I'm, okay. I'm joining the resistance. There is no automation in my future. I want to get back to, you know, living in small agrarian communities where I know all of my neighbors and everything takes less than an hour to walk to. Uh, to you're begin also with, look good in the rebel gear. I'm telling you I right will. now. I, I think yeah. it's very sexy. A lot of a lot of attention on that. Tabitha. How about you? In 30 uh, years, what what job do you have in, in the robot world? I mean, honestly, I, I think that like the robots would probably be editing the stories that I write and uh, trying to suppress the the true information. Right. If, if we're going for robot overlord um, dystopian novella like that is 100 percent what the robots are doing. All right. Um, so you're yeah. going to service them. Uh, no, 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 no. I did not say service. They mm. they are suppressing the information that needs to get out. Right. It's like the like the robots are controlling the narrative. So like no matter what you do, the robots like oh, interfere with it. That like Tabitha, join us in the resistance. No, see, and me, <laughs> I'm giving in. I, I'm giving in. I'm giving in. I'm gonna be a, a robot jester. So I'm gonna be <laughs> the little human who entertains the robots and have them, you know, my my highest crowning achievement would be when a robot says, I understand your humor. It is 70% efficient. You may live another day. Something like that. That's me. I'll be I'll be doing tricks for them. You know, you know the um the Wally movie that they did, yeah. Disney did, right? Yeah. Where it's like the cute little robot who's like helping save the planet, but then you have yeah. like the evil robot. I'm sure there'd be good robots and bad robots, nah, right? Like 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 they like at that point they would have personalities and like be having uh, pursuing different goals. I don't know how this works really, but you well, know. um, <laughs> Holmes, Tabitha Mueller, let's pray for the benevolent robots one way or the other. I, I really appreciate both of you being on CityCast Las Vegas today. Thanks again. Thanks, Dave. Thanks so much. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. Our producers this week are Sonia Cho Swanson, Layla Muhammad, Lizzie Goldsmith, and Natalie Rivera. Our newsletter editor is Scott Dickensheets, and I'm your host, David Figler. Music is by OG Moose and All the Kimonos. We record this show on the traditional homelands of the Nuuvi, the Southern Paiute people. Hey, if you enjoyed the show, 
go tell a friend. Rate the show too, leave us a review, and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back Monday morning with more news from around the city. Take care. Cars versus trees, we know who's going to win. I feel um, like in a cars versus trees, 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 trees win, would win. Usually, yeah, trees usually, usually win. Or, oh, you know, or, you're, or you're both right. are in bad shape. <laughs>